What is up? What is going on, everybody? Much like Ed and Lorraine Warren, the three of us have been called kooks and wackos in our time, but I think for very different reasons. We will get into it on the other side of the song. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of The Threequel. As always, I'm one of your three co-hosts, Ethan Klein, here with me, Mike Duranik and Brad Miller. Gentlemen, how are we doing? Doing great. Uh, I know the listeners here won't know, but we are rounding into our, our second hour of this, and it's fun hanging out with you guys and talking about just pointless stuff that uh, hopefully is entertaining to people. So, yeah, great night. Ethan, I'm just glad that we were able to agree to start recording this podcast directly at 3.07 a.m., or is that yes. just the clock uh, in my in my house? You, you might <laughs> want to get that checked out. If if your house starts bleeding tonight, I would suggest leaving. Look, what, what good is a house without a little bit of bleeding? That's true. It does add character. Um, as you know, as you clicked on this episode this week, we are talking about The Conjuring. This is the first time we have ventured into the horror genre uh, here on the threequel. And uh, something, this was my pick for the month of July. It was something that, you know, I've wanted to do that. This is one of, maybe it is my favorite film in the horror genre. We'll definitely get into that. But I think this is, this is the movie that kind of brought me into the genre in a way. And I definitely wanted to share it. Uh, with these guys and, and hopefully uh, our fan base here also enjoys this film and enjoys where we go with this. I usually ask you guys um, your first experience with the film that we are doing in a given week, but I know that this was your first viewing of The Conjuring for both of you. So I'll, I'll change the question up and I'll ask it this way. Heading into this viewing, what was your guys' experience with the horror genre? What were your feelings just about horror films in general that you brought into this viewing of The Conjuring? Um, I guess I don't know how I feel about these movies. Uh, I usually end up enjoying them, but I don't. I rarely pick them to just sit down and watch. I don't exactly know why that is. Um, I know... Ethan, I went to be it with you in the theater. Um, and that was more comedy than horror to me. I mean, I remember laughing at that. Uh, the conjuring did not get me to laugh, but I also, I don't know. It, it's not horror to me. Like it, I guess it's not like, I wasn't scared by this film. Uh, it did. It found a way to like, uh, I guess I would describe it like it somehow like got under my skin. I could feel myself uh, getting um, chills at times, kind of uh, maybe a little that tingly feeling when when something suspenseful was going to happen. It wasn't fear, um, you know. It wasn't like one of those where oh, I better turn the light on right now because I don't know what's going to be around that corner. Or if I heard my heard a weird noise, it, it wasn't a fearful thing. So I, maybe I'm just old enough that I that I'm not affected by that anymore. Um, plus I also realized while I'm watching it, I can discern that, you know, these are actors and actresses playing parts. Um, but I, I think that a lot of times these types of movies get, get me to think. Um, and 
you know, it helps me figure out like, where do I stand on the, in this realm of, uh, you know, demon possession or ghost or, you know, whatever you want to, however you want to describe it. And I think that uh, that's probably where a lot of our discussion will go tonight based on a, just a really short conversation I had with Mike today about the film. Um, but yeah, I, I enjoy the genre, the genre, but, uh, it's just not something that I, um, frequent. Yeah. So, uh, horror, you know, I think that the, the thing about horror flicks is that they can be in so many different categories, right. And you can have them on the end of the spectrum that are like horror suspense, uh, films. Uh, and those probably are my favorite. Um, you can obviously on the other end of the spectrum, have it with like a slasher flick, uh, you know, your traditional, um, Friday the 13th or things like that, which really are parodies within a horror film and best enjoyed if you're almost doing a mystery science 3000 version, uh, with it, uh, with a couple of friends. Um, and I can enjoy pretty much anything in there. I will say the one, uh, part of this genre that I have not ever been a fan of is like the extreme gore, um, you know, torture horror, um, that stuff doesn't do it a whole lot for me. Uh, I couldn't really get beyond like the first saw and that's about as far that direction as I could go. And, and, you know, after that, it really um, went off with hostile and, and things like that, that I just had no use for. And so if I'm going to watch something in the horror genre, I would rather it be something that gets you to think, right. Something that is in this realm of things or, something that doesn't take itself at all seriously and you're laughing along with it. Um, you know, I am a pretty big fan of the original scream, uh, because it took the slasher flick and then, uh, in a self-aware way, kind of made fun of itself, but without making fun of itself, if that makes sense. And so, you know, that's kind of my experience with the, the horror, um, genre, but I would say that, um, you know, this end of the of the spectrum is is probably where I would prefer to be because it does not just give you like maybe uh, a little bit of the suspense, but it also makes you think. Yeah, it seems like we're all kind of on the same page with how we feel about the genre currently. Coming into my first viewing of this back in 2013, um, it wasn't in the theaters. It was something that a friend uh, had on DVD, but I was not a fan at all of the horror genre it just wasn't my thing and i especially i i guess what i was doing was lumping in everything into one category you know i was just assuming that every single horror film was how many heads can jason cut off how many different people can freddy cut up with his hand how many different ways can the guy from saw get someone to stick their dick in a blender so that people enjoy those movies like that that's what those movies became and so it's just not my thing i don't think that that's good filmmaking just spraying as much blood at the camera as you can i i'm glad that i had the opportunity to see a film like this and we'll see how you guys feel about this by the end of it but this movie opened up an entire different part of the genre where what i enjoy about horror films now is the higher concept. Give me something to process. Give me something to think about. That's how I came to enjoy a film like Get Out. You know, that that's what opened up to more recently something like The Invisible Man, which I thought was an amazing piece of filmmaking, things like that. And generally at this point, I can tell from a preview 
that's where I'm at with horror movies. If I watch a preview, I pretty much got it figured out whether it's we're going to try to explode people's bodies at the screen or we've actually put effort into what we're doing. It's, it's usually pretty obvious right from the preview which camp they're going to fall in. But it's a genre that I'm glad uh, The Conjuring opened up for me. And uh, yeah, so we'll see. We'll see where the conversation takes us tonight, guys. Let's let's hop in. Let's talk about, um, you know, some production things and then we'll get into uh, kind of the 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 deeper stuff here uh, with the conjuring Um, the the stars really on screen that there are to talk about. I mean, it's it's the Warrens, right? It's Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga. We just touched on Vera Farmiga. Uh, a couple of weeks ago on Of Course I'm Right with uh, our Mount Rushmore of actresses that have yet to win an Oscar. Um, These two, I think, just cast perfectly. And if I think about, you know, their faces, Patrick Wilson shows up in a ton of stuff, but this to me is what I think of them. And I think they do fantastic in this. Uh, What are you guys' thoughts on on the two stars here of this film? So, uh, as you mentioned, last night uh, was my first time seeing this film. Um, I I knew I needed to watch it so we could talk about it. And so I came into it with a fresh perspective. I don't know. I, I think I know Patrick Wilson from other stuff. Um, I have not done a deep dive into his career. Is there anything else that he's specifically known for? Um, I mean, horror has really been where he has made the bulk of his money. He's also in the Insidious franchise. Most recently, now he's gone into the superhero realm. He was in Aquaman. Um, and he's just kind of one of those guys that has popped up in a ton of things. He was in The Founder. Uh, I think of him being in things like Bone Tomahawk and the A-Team back in the day. He's just one of those guys that's just been around for a really long time in supporting roles insidious and this is what gave him the opportunity to have him his face kind of front and center in in a franchise gotcha well i'm kind of glad that see i don't i don't know that i've seen any of those things that you've mentioned um so i'm kind of glad of that because uh vera farmiga stood out a little bit because she is so recognizable that it almost seemed um it was tough for me to see her in this role because it took away from it made it less real because of an actress that you recognize but as far as the casting goes they did really really well because patrick wilson when he walks on screen and the way he carries himself i automatically got the impression like i'm not gonna like this guy he's gonna be a douchebag he's gonna like you know he's gonna treat people a certain way or he's gonna think he's better than people like he just kind of had the that look of the way he's gonna carry himself and there was not any of that whatsoever very endearing character um really enjoyed the level of care that he did his job with the compassion that he had for people the um straightforwardness when uh asked questions about you know um the smells that they were smelling and the things that they were seeing and he was just very matter of fact describing like this is what that could be. And I was surprised by the choice of that. A lot of times you'll get someone that like keeps that stuff close to the vest and then reveals it later um, to seem, you know, kind of in a uh, Sherlock Holmesian type way um, where they want to seem smarter than everybody else. So 
Um, I think it was really well acted, really well written for that character, especially. Um, and then uh, Vera Farmiga with the with the clairvoyancy that she had just killed it. Um, she was able to uh, do the emotional acting, the physical acting, and just everything. I mean, just nailed it with the way she was affected by uh, what she was seeing, affected by how it was uh, hurting the people around her. Um, just great job uh, acting by both of those characters for sure. Yeah, I agree with with Brad. I think that the strength in the casting overall and uh, then in particular with uh, the actor and actress that play the Warrens was that none of them are super well known. And I do think that that's key to a movie like this because, you know, if you if you cast, uh, you know, I don't know, like uh, from a couple weeks back, if we cast Scarlett Johansson opposite of, you know, in this, it would be a situation where uh, everybody would just not believe it. It would seem so surreal. Right. And oh, yeah. um, (laughs) Well, and and particularly now. But, um, you know, even back in 2013, it would have been surreal. And in 2003, Ultimately, what Brad's point is, I think, is strong because if you're wanting to put yourself in this movie, you have to put yourself in it and believe that it's real. You can't have big, uh, you know, A-list actors or actresses playing um, the the prominent roles. So I think the casting was very, very strong. And, um, you know, Vera Farmiga is probably as well known as you can cast in a movie like this and get away with it um, legitimately. Yeah, I I struggled with a little bit with Ron Livingston because he's so iconic for that office space character that there's a couple times through the film where he would, the way he would say something or the cadence in which he would say it, I would automatically pop back to office space and it kind of took away just a little bit from uh, that character. Um, But again, to your point, Mike, he's not a big enough actor that it really made that big of a difference. Um, but there were a couple moments through the film where um, office space kind of got in the way of me really believing that, that character. Well, and, and just credit to, there are parts of this movie and it's, I mean, it's something that happens in horror films um, that, that could really get out of hand and become cheesy. And there's lines that even get said that if you just say them a little bit differently, don't play. And just the way that it look like, you know, Brad, you were saying when they're telling them about what they're hearing and what they're experiencing, experiencing, I mean, just saying something as simple, ah, well, rotten meat, that, that is, that is a demon. Like the way that they deliver that, like you said, with the compassion that he has, that he just wants to help these people. And then especially in the exorcism scene, the fact that there is still like some grounded dramatic acting taking place while this, you know, insane thing is happening around them is a credit to both of them. Um, and if, if those two aren't the star of the film, it has to be the director, James Wan. Uh, Mike, you mentioned the original saw that is one that I too, uh, am okay with. I think that is, that's a higher concept film. That is not what those films have become. That is one that makes you think that's how he came onto the scene, directed saw, had a couple other projects, but then really what sent him into the stratosphere, um, he goes back, he bounces back and forth between Insidious and The Conjuring, directing the first two entries of each of those franchises. 2015, he gets Furious 7, and then 2018, a billion-dollar film in Aquaman. He just actually, as we're recording this, 
uh, today. Just started filming the second one. He has another, I think, horror film coming out on HBO later this fall. So, I mean, he has become one of the A-list directors, if you want to phrase it that way. A guy that, and I don't know how familiar you guys are with his careers. I just kind of read through that. But someone who at this point can almost do anything he wants with the success that he has had. Yeah, I mean, just to listen to you list off the different films that he has uh, that he's done, it's it's a diverse group. I think, especially making the jump to Aquaman and and uh, working on the second one of those, um, pretty impressive list. Definitely hadn't uh, I hadn't done the research to to take that that deep of a look at it, but pretty impressive. And I forgot, Furious Seven also made a billion dollars. So you're talking the guy that made the first Saw now has two separate billion dollar films in two different franchises like yeah the guy the guy's made his money brett are, are you, brad are you shaking your head because you're questioning the validity of fast and furious being a a sought after franchise no i was shaking because i just can't believe that two movies have made that much money i mean it's just oh. uncomprehensible when you talk about figures like that i just blows my mind well i mean you know we did the dark knight uh last two weeks ago and that was you know that was the first superhero movie to make a billion dollars and that was a huge deal and would we ever get there again now i think every avengers movie hit that mark aquaman somehow hit that mark i mean now if a superhero movie that's like one of the main characters doesn't it's it it missed you know which is just like you said, just insanity. Um, okay, let's change gears a little bit. I skipped my thesis statement because I knew that a bulk of our conversation would kind of roll into this. So now I will give you guys my thesis statement. This is something we've been doing the last few weeks. Just something rooted in hyperbole. Yes, Brad? Well, I, I want to hear your thesis statement, but uh, if I remember correctly, in the short conversation I had with Mike, he had a pretty decent thesis question as well. So maybe yeah. we do two, and maybe I don't know, Mike, if you remember what it was because it slipped my mind, but I remember thinking, like, yeah, we should talk about that. So maybe we do a double up thesis statement question and, and see where we land. All right. Well, let's, Ethan, you lead off, and then, uh, and then if time allows, we'll come back around because I do remember my, my, uh, my thesis statement from my prior conversation with Brad. Uh, so my thesis statement. And, and I hope it's not too confusing. I've been trying to figure out how to word this, but the, the general idea of it is simply this, that this is the exact way that you have to introduce a concept this controversial in a horror film. And what I mean by that is when you're making the main characters two people who are the way that they are displayed in the movie, they are people of faith. Um, They are very rooted in their religion and their faith in each other and their faith in God and God's plan for them. You can't just haphazardly throw that in. You have to completely lean into it. And the risk of that in the world we live in today is I think a lot of people that are big, big fans of this genre don't care about that. And they don't want to hear about that. And I remember in 2013, you know, just graduating high school, I I specifically remember the group of people I watched this with the first time, all of them saying, 
this movie doesn't scare me because I don't believe in that. So I don't care. So the fact that they were willing to just really go for it and how much they drive home the faith of the two main characters in the film is something I've grown to appreciate in the franchise. And I'm curious where you guys fall on kind of how they handle all that. But this is exactly how they had to do it. You either have to lean completely into it or you have to lean completely away from it. And they lean into it. And I think that's exactly how they had to do this type of topic for a horror film. So put a nice little bow on that and say, say your thing one more time. The, the exact thesis. There is no other way to do this film than to completely focus on the faith of the two main characters. So this is probably your least hyperbolic statement that you've made. Um, because I mean, this is just kind of the discussion of the film. Um, but, but yeah, if I guess I, I completely agree because if these two did not 100% believe in what they were doing and that God controlled the, these demons and that they had the power, um, you know, they didn't really get into it, but it, like, do they have the power of the, the Holy spirit? Because, you know, uh, as we're taught in, in church that we all have the, that, that spirit in us. And so they have control over these demonic, uh, figures. Um, like I said, they don't really dive into that, but there's one scene in particular that stands out that supports your, your statement. Like, um, in a lot of ways, uh, uh, I'll, I'll just say her real name, Vera Farmiga, because I, I can't remember the character off the top of my head. Um, she is going through, she's experiencing some things that, that could cost her her life or maybe uh, her uh, soul, for lack of a better way of phrasing it. And yet she's right there doing battle with these demons um, in this basement. And probably, you know, uh, I remember thinking like, wow, I, I don't think I could be that brave to climb into these small areas that these you know demons are are hanging out in like just it's crazy to think about but she made a she said a line um you know we are battling for her soul here you know the 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 dad wanted to to stop the um uh the (laughs) the what the exorcism yeah, he wanted to stop the exorcism. Um, and then, you know, she was like, no, she's very adamant about uh, fighting and ending it right there. And you're right. If if she was not 100% committed to her faith, to her ability as a, a clairvoyant, to her ability to help these people um, through that, I mean, could have easily just walked away, let this family be uh, another one of the many that they talk about in this film and just kind of let those spirits continue to haunt that area. Like she had no reason to have to do that other than believing wholeheartedly in her faith and her ability and um, wanting to save these people. And and yeah, I, I agree with your, your thesis for sure. And I guess, and I, I want to hear Mike's thoughts on this too. And I, I guess the risk of it, for me that that i think they took and i'm glad they did even something else that james wan did like insidious there's no talk of faith in that movie those are definitely demons and witches and things like that but they come up with 
you know, a, a roundabout way to kill a demon. You know, you got to figure out its name and do this and we'll go into this other world. Like, and it's fine and it's effective, but the world that we live in to just fully dive into, we're going to make a movie about two people of faith fighting the battle of good and evil on the side of God and openly saying throughout the movie that that's what they're doing. That's the risk that I'm glad they took. I think what made this unique compared to some other movies uh, that are similar in the, the genre, the exorcism movies, is how deeply they leaned into, um, you know, the Warrens as your heroes. And, um, you know, I think uh, and, and I can't name them off the top of my head, but there's been so many different exorcism movies that I've seen through the years along the ways. And, you know, it seems like almost oftentimes like the the priest gets brought in. Right. And then the demon basically whoops the priest yep and, and so what was different with this one was that there was a sense of at least for me right they they hit the they hit the the house and their confidence played through and it wasn't as if they they weren't saying well this is some serious stuff that we have here but it was just a matter of fact confidence that oh yep yeah, yeah this is this is what's really going on here and it is you know it, the fairy tale's real it, it really is god and demons and we have to decide which side we're on, but we're on God's side. So we're, it'll probably work out in the end. And so just the matter of factness of how they approached it uh, to me was was what made this unique in the setup of it. Well, I think the, kind of leaning into that, if I could pick a favorite line from the entire series, the newest film, if you've seen the preview, you've heard him say this, but it just plays so well in the third Conjuring film. Uh, they're talking about a court case and uh, Patrick Wilson's character says every time someone gets sworn in to tell the truth, the court accepts the existence of God. It's time that we start accepting the existence of the devil as well. And just again, just those themes that they put through the, of these two people being on the forefront and this this battle that they're constantly fighting, um, I, I think is pretty amazing. But I, I'm also curious, Mike, what your uh, thesis question is uh, with that involving the conjuring here. Cause I, I'm sure that you have more thoughts on this film. Well, so, and it actually kind of leads nicely out of what I was just saying, right? Uh, the Warrens clearly believe that what they do is, is real and it is essential and it is um, cosmic warfare, right? That, that they are, they are dealing with, um, with demons, with, with possession, um, you know, with, with things that are the epitome of evil. And so what do they do? Well, I mean, you, it, you know, the beginning of this, you get a little bit of a flashback to Annabelle. Um, and at the end of this, they take uh, the, the music thing and they, they put it in their, you know, uh, museum or everything, but they have a, they have a child. Right. And yeah. if I'm understanding this correctly from following this plot line, and I've only seen this once. So you tell me if I'm wrong. Um, they've decided to take all of these demonic things that are so dangerous that nobody can touch them and place them uh, basically in their house, right? Yeah, yeah. So my thesis statement is there never should have been a second one because the Warren should have been arrested for some child neglect at a minimum. <laughs> because, I mean, you know, we, we don't we don't like it when when people like yeah, I don't know, parents keep guns unsecured in the house. I, I think demonic uh you know artifacts might be even a layer beyond that and so um my my thesis statement um was that the warrens were neglectful parents 
uh, and maybe should have spent a little bit of time thinking about their parenting rather than just collecting demonic artifacts. I, I, I don't disagree. I, I, I know that there's a lot of humor involved in that statement, but that, and again, I don't know at what points, of course, there are plenty throughout the film. They, they're making a movie here. I don't know where we break from, you know, the case files that the Warrens had written down to what James Wan and his crew added to the film. If they actually had a room in their house of just straight up possessed shit. <laughs> I, I think based off of the reading I did that they did. They oh, had a they had right. a museum of the possessed stuff that they took that I think is now shut down because they have both since passed uh, passed on. Um, yeah, their I, spirits are probably haunting the shit too. Like that's not okay. <laughs> so I, I don't know. Did I do an okay job with that thesis statement? There, you did Brad? a great did that, job. Did that you deliver the thesis out of the water? Did that it, deliver what you were hoping? Yeah, that was for me this time. This is a movie that I, I mean, I really enjoy this movie. Like I said, this may be my favorite horror movie. It's close. It's 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 between this and like maybe Don't Breathe, which I don't know if you guys have seen that one, but that again, higher concept. Like just, I, I think it's a fantastic movie. Um, but this time through, when he was walking the reporter through that room, it's like, what the actual hell are you doing? Because he, he shrugs it off like, you know, we have a priest come through and bless the room once a month. Well, I'm sorry. What if Annabelle decides to stretch and go for a run a week after he does that? Like, I, like, I mean, I, I've done, you know, I have a degree in ministry. I have done a lot of reading and a lot of research on some of these topics. I have never once stumbled across something that says if you pour some holy water on a demon once a month, that'll keep them contained. You'll be completely safe. You can keep it in the house. You can just throw a padlock on it. You're good. It won't bother you. I, I've never come across that just standard rule. Yeah. And I mean, I'm fascinated by this uh, also, like, you know, why, why not just destroy the stuff that is possessed by the demon, but Brad, um, you know, there may be a good reason for it. Brad, uh, what are, what are your thoughts on this neglectful parenting or uh, just once a month, holy water baths? <laughs> um, I mean, it's, it's neglectful because they could have easily had that stuff stored away from their home. Um yeah, you by no means put your child in harm's way. Um, I mean, I guess they they kind of touched on that a little bit in the way they described, like, they want to be the frontline protectors, and to have it close close to the vest there and watching over that stuff is the best way to protect it. But, um, yeah, I remember thinking, like, obviously any kid, any kid is going to be curious and want to go in there. There's no chance that a kid at some point is not going to go rummaging through that room because I don't think they really understand what it is they're coming across. I mean, we as older, older gentlemen understand the, the seriousness of that. A kid walks in that room and you're going to see some, there was some really neat stuff in there that, that you're going to want to check out. And it's just, uh, yeah, it would be way too risky to have it that close. So you never you never know if Wikipedia is totally accurate, but I just want to make sure that Ethan has closure to this um, because reportedly, in addition to investigations, Lorraine did run the Warren's Occult Museum, now closed, in the back of her house in uh, Connecticut. Yeah, and I guess, and I don't know how much you guys want to get into that. I, don't, I mean, talking about people that we don't really know. That's, that's, that's really all the that's all the further I want to go is just to, to say that that aspect yeah. of this film is reportedly accurate. Well, right. I just that's the side of it that, I, you know, from a faith based perspective, 
I don't like the idea of selling it as a parlor trick to people, like selling tickets to come look at the, you know, possessed stuff. Like, that's that's not a great look, in, in my opinion. I, I don't know if you guys have anything there. But just in terms of the film universe, it is a through line in all of these movies that at some point, uh, Judy, their daughter, is in some amount of grave danger. And the second one, the demon, you know, hops the pond and comes back over from England and comes into their house. And the third one, the woman who's trying to summon Satan curses their house and attacks them there too. So like at some point their parenting is called into question in every single film. Well, there you go. All right. Well, that, that was my thesis, Ethan. So I yeah. won't have one every week, but if one strikes me that way, uh, maybe I'll offer some up. Now, now Brad's the only one who hasn't offered one up on these. So you're on the clock, big guy. I mean, I'm expecting one uh, next week because next week is your pick for the month of July in a movie that you've championed for a very long time and a movie I haven't seen. So, uh, but, but that, again, that's next week. We'll stay focused on The Conjuring here. Rotten Tomatoes game. Mike and Brad try to guess what the sitting Rotten Tomatoes score is of the film we are reviewing uh, on that week. We have found out that at one point uh, in the history of this game, Brad did commit some treachery, but he promises that that is no longer the case, that this is completely clean. Uh, So, Brad, what do you think the Rotten Tomatoes score for The Conjuring is? Uh, So, kind of thinking out loud, um, I'm guessing that just as a genre um that the scores for these films are higher than um maybe what you'd expect by a hair just to to shade it up a little bit so nitpicking of what i thought of the film and then shading it up a little bit i'm gonna say um it's gonna come in around like an 84. i was worried you were gonna take my number you were so close to taking my number it's not even funny um i was going to make a very um scientific decision here i was looking over at this picture to my right and the first number that i saw in the picture was 83 and so i'm going to go with 83 uh this week mike you should have tried to snake him the other way it is at 86 percent right now on rotten tomatoes it is 83 percent by the fan score um but but very close there and and i think a fair number um i think Actually, well, I don't know. It's tough because, again, I am not I, I do not consider myself a horror nerd in terms of how the horror movies I have seen. I think the acting in this is done really well. I think that I appreciate when a film like Brad, you know, you explained it as uh, made your skin crawl. I appreciate it more when a horror movie goes for tone, goes for setting, goes for feel in lieu of the jump scares, which there are some in this movie for sure, but I don't need two straight hours of something popping out from around a corner and this, that, and the other. I much more prefer setting a tone, and I think this does this does that really well. I, I don't know if you guys agree or, or disagree with that. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that uh, it, it has enough jump scares, as you put it, to, to make you realize you're watching a horror movie, but it gives it space to breathe and to allow the plot to do a little bit of work. Um, so I think that's a fair assessment. Yeah, I the thing I like about it, and again, much like you said, Ethan, I'm not a, a horror nerd either, um, but 
they did a very good job of they drug it out long enough that I was like super curious as to what the reveal was going to be. I mean, I think you're you're basically almost 45 minutes in before you really um they start playing that clap game with the with the mom and she gets knocked into the basement. Um that's it. I think 42 maybe if I remember correctly. Um so you're pretty far in by the time. So you're you're invested in the characters, which I appreciate because that made me care more about what was going to happen. Um, I I didn't really have any jump scares per se. There wasn't anything that that made me uh, leap. It was that that tingly feeling that I would get. Uh, and you said skin crawl. I I don't remember exactly how I described it. I when I think of skin crawling, I think of you know getting grossed out or you know. It, just horrified or something. This was more like it was playing on my emotions as far as caring about this family, um, caring about my faith, caring about how I would handle situations like this if I were involved And it. Just it, that's where the chills came from because, um, it's like, what if we were faced with this, you know? And I think they did a really good job of, um, bringing that debate to the screen without beating you over the head with it. Um, this isn't going to scare, scare away any, uh, uh, Christian bashers, you know, like if there's a group of people out there that just wouldn't watch this just because of, uh, them using faith to get rid of the demons. They didn't overdo that. Um, but they also, uh, for people like me that appreciate it, they use the faith to show that, that, that you can take, control over demonic possession in that way um and so i I think they just they towed the line perfectly uh the way it was written the way it was directed uh just really well done um and yeah i I think that was a i I think i I think that answers your question yeah no it, it absolutely does i think the first time i saw it the only jump scare i really remember really getting me is the um woman on top of the wardrobe that that one and just that image still creeps me out but that was the one where i like jumped out of my seat the first time i saw this um but then now the second conjuring is like the most horrifying thing i've ever seen like i think i lost well, about 10 pounds in sweat seeing the second conjuring in the theaters they definitely go way more in the realm of jump scares for that one that's I think gonna make me like that film less than I liked this one because the one thing I appreciated was when you say something's based in reality um, or based on a true story, like they didn't overdo it. You know, like there wasn't projectile vomiting, there wasn't head spinning, there wasn't like just this grossness to the the characters. They looked like people that had lived there that had been killed, um, and that that made sense to me. So I wasn't scared by what I saw on that wardrobe. It was like, Oh, for the first time, it was like the perfect amount of, uh, the the perfect amount of making that character, uh, want to strike fear in you. In some ways it was a bit of a letdown because I was expecting it to be more. Um, but after watching it, I appreciated it so much because it was like, Oh, like that is what that, demon or ghost should look like you know if if that's really the way they describe what happened on in that uh, on that farm over the over the years so 
Um, yeah, just really great job, I think, by keeping it subtle enough to make it seem more realistic. Uh, so the way you described the second one, I probably won't like that as much, but I also am, I'm curious to see it now because I want to see how they go for the, the scares. Yeah, and it's not it's not so much, well, there is there is one specific part that is very, like, I, I can't imagine where they came up with the look for one specific character, but it's not so much the head spinning and the oh, that stuff. It's just there is many more opportunities in the second one for very quiet, very quiet, right in your face. Something out of nowhere just jumps at the screen, and I just... Seeing that in the theater, uh, I remember walking out in pain because I was squeezing the seat so hard. Um, but they did their job on that one. Uh, but this is definitely my favorite uh, of the three. Let's uh, let's shift gears. Let's uh, start heading to the end of the podcast here. Favorite line, favorite scene. Uh, let's start with favorite line, and I'll go first because M- Mike, you, you started to mention mine earlier, but but the the entire line. It's uh, Ed Warren. It's and I'm I believe it's when they're giving they're teaching one of their classes or giving one of their uh, talks, but he says diabolical forces are formidable. These forces are eternal and they exist today. The fairy tale is true. The devil exists. God exists. And for us as people, our very destiny hinges upon which one we elect to follow Um, a movie that I think is well-written, but not a lot of lines that necessarily stand out. This one did um, from previous viewings and did again here. So, so that is my, favorite line from the film yeah that would have been probably right there for me ethan and so kind of with it i went with another ed warren line the other one i had written down was just very simply sometimes it's better to keep the genie in the bottle yeah that's the only thing that makes their bad parenting okay is that he got to say that cool line Uh uh-huh exactly and you know even though this happened decades before he later gave inspiration to christina aguilera of course so yeah it all comes back around Brad. Uh, yeah, I think uh, it would have been a clean sweep there with that. I They even show that quote at the end of the movie uh, on the screen. So, um, yeah, I, I think that, it, you know, just to, to be the same, but the, the one that kind of stood out that was a bit of a, a funny line at the end was uh, uh, he goes up to the, to the cop and he said, um, I, I don't remember what line he did, but he basically said, "Is did this do that?" And he said, "I'll I'll take a guy with a gun anytime." Um, uh, I can't remember the line that the other guy delivered, but it was it was a funny way to kind of uh, you know bring some some levity to uh, them coming through that horrific evening together. I agree. Favorite scene, uh, gentlemen. I'll let one of you guys go first on this one think there's a decent chance that we might all have the same favorite scene i mean for me it has to be the the exorcism scene um i think it was particularly well done um i think the way that they were able to pull the mom back in kind of by reminding her and grounding her in her love of her family what was well done um so yeah that's that's the winner for me that was for me as well brad are you with us or um, I'm going to go a, a tad bit of a different direction. Um, mine was where actually where the, the clairvoyant, um, started, you could see, they started showing on the screen what she could see. Yeah. And I really liked that because, um, you know, we, we haven't really touched on it in this conversation. So maybe I'll jump into it just a little bit before we wrap up about like 
our thoughts on the the possibility of this type of thing being real. Um, and obviously, I don't want to get on a soapbox or make this preachy or anything like that. So I'll just try to keep it short and sweet. But like, I do believe in um, demons. I do believe in in an evil spirit because, like, like you said, you know, how, how can I believe in God and not believe in the other side of that? And um, I, I think part of what Christianity is and what Jesus stood against were, were the evil forces. And like, um, but what I think they did really well and where I would fall on this being uh, uh, more realistic were those dark figures that had just like attached themselves to the person. That's what I, when I picture demon possession, that's what I, I think it would look like. It's not necessarily, you know, something entering the body or uh, something taking control and, and fighting you from the inside out or anything like that. It's more of like that shadow that decides to attach itself to you and that you're going to carry it around. And it's going to, you know, all of these things are going to happen until you deal with the, that darkness that, that surrounds you. Um, you know, we don't really get into it here um, because it's not the right time or place, but um you know, we deal with, with some evilness in our, in our jobs that, um, we have to face on a, on a, on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. And sometimes you, we see some of this stuff firsthand where, um, it just looks like there's something, uh, that takes control of, of other people at times. And, and who knows what that, what that is, but I, I definitely believe that there's some evil forces involved, um, in some of that. And I believe in the power of prayer and control over those things. So I think they did that really well. Um, and that is, uh, what I appreciated about this film is they kind of showed how subtle, um, demon possession can be. Um, but then obviously, you know, they have to go a little bit over the top to, to sell tickets and things like that. So they have scenes where it's also a little bit more, uh, in your face and that's okay too. Um, but those dark shadows I thought were, were really, well done. So I appreciated seeing that. And that was my favorite part of the film of, of just seeing what, what, uh, uh, she might be able to see as she's scanning through that house. Uh, yeah, well said, I don't think there's anything more that, uh, I can add to that. So we will just, uh, wrap it up here with, uh, three film categories. Uh, we've got, you know, the case of beer completely off the rails. It's just, you know, it just is what it is. You need a case of beer mixed drink, uh, Maybe there's some unintentional laughing. There's something a little crazy, a little out there, but there is something that also grounds the film or maybe the other way. It's a very grounded film, but there's just something that just isn't quite right. Uh, And then the stiff drink, just very serious, very grounded, very realistic. And I think oddly enough, horror movies would always tend to really fall in the mixed drink case beer category. This movie does fall in the stiff drink category to me. And what I thought about this time watching it, was how often in horror movies you get the the moments of, oh, come on, why are you doing this? Why are you making this decision? That's the stupidest possible thing you can do. And that doesn't happen in this movie. They don't fall into that trope. They are telling a story and, you know, and we've said, you know, I do believe that these things do happen. And as far as I could tell, this is what a lot of it would look like. It is just a family being psychologically tormented by these things around them. It does end up getting very over the top at the end with the exorcism. But even that is done in a way that I'm not taken out of the film. 
at all. It's even like the one mistake anyone makes, right, is the guy saying that he finds the daughter underneath the the floor. But even that's not a stupid mistake. He He's elated that he finally found her. But then there's just that instant like your heart drops because he doesn't know that she's broken free of the restraints. And now she's chasing after the daughter and everybody's trying to race in there to get her and save her. And they're like just out of reach. And they, like, I just think all of that is played perfectly, even through the, you know, I condemn you back to hell. Like that could be over the top. And, it, and it's not for me. It, it hits perfectly all the performance, all the writing. So uh, stiff drink category for me for The Conjuring. Yeah, for for me, I think it's in the same category. I will just say in terms of the like, uh, why didn't you do that? For me, it just started off with the dog. If the dog refuses to go into the house, you probably shouldn't go into the house either. Maybe just listen to the dog next time and a lot of this could be averted. That's a great point. Yeah, uh, obviously uh, this falls in that stiff drink category. Um, but one of the things we didn't touch on uh, is just how in touch, well, not only the dog, but that youngest daughter was. Like, she recognized this right away, faced it without fear, and also was wise enough to hide from her own mother. Like, she she could tell that, hey, this isn't my mom, you know this person's not here to save me or protect me. This person's here to kill me and to hide from her as well as she did. Um, and then also uh, they did a great job of showing her recognizing like, Hey, my mom is back. Um, but, but she had to pause there and really like analyze the situation. And I think they did a great job with that. Um, so yeah, always kind of, you know, look for the dog or look for that little kid who, isn't overthinking the situation and just takes it at face value because that's sometimes what you need. So, um, yeah, great job with, with the character there and, and showing how important pets and their intuition can be for sure. Yeah. It's usually a safe bet. that The dog isn't going to make it through a movie like this. And that, uh, that, that's easily avoidable. As Mike said, the dog doesn't well, like if the they help. need a if they need a lead actor for another dog in a film, I've got one that I'll offer up, especially if they're not going to make it through. So, dear God, uh, <laughs> I know that's going to lose me some fans, but uh, I, I know a, a couple people that might really like that comment too. So, <clears throat> I just I just don't know if you caught that, Ethan. Uh, but right when Brad was saying that, right behind him, over his shoulder, his cat gave a knowing nod. <laughs> yeah. And uh, <laughs> uh-huh. just going to leave that there. Oh, <laughs> uh, that uh, I, I can't think of a better way to end the show than that. So, Char- I mean, Charlie's that- an aspiring actor for sure. So, oh, 100%. He's always had the ability. I've always seen potential in him. Um, that was The Conjuring, guys. Next week, we are doing, uh, as I alluded to earlier, Mike's pick for the month of July, Garden State. Uh, it will be my first interaction with that film i have not seen it so one that i've heard mike talk about plenty and now i get the opportunity to uh, be introduced to it so looking forward to that hope you guys are as well thank you so much for supporting the show uh leave a like leave a rating leave a comment uh join in on the conversation we always love that unless you're pappy drew and uh to that i say uh you should go spend a night in the warren's house i think it'd be really good for you um other than that guys for mike for brad i'm ethan we'll see you next time